0: Ready? Let me do a quick sip of water. Hi, I'm your host, Lillian Yang. And I'm your host, Fakri Shafai, and you are listening to Food Nonfiction.
1: Last year marks the 100th anniversary of Martha's death.
0: Martha was the last of her species, the passenger pigeon. She died in 1914 at the Cincinnati Zoo.
1: That's four years after the death of George, the second to last passenger pigeon. So Martha spent four years alone as the last of her kind.
2: There was George and there was Martha, the director of the zoo channeling the Washington family name and naming passenger pigeons. So Martha was alone and she you know, she aged. She, she became weak. She didn't move much. Her keepers lowered Lowered her perch to just a few inches above the floor of the cage. But she was an attraction. I mean, people remembered, you know, when they were big flocks and here the last one. So there's even stories of people um, surrounding her enclosure, throwing sand at her to get her to move. So, how did Martha come
1: to be the last of the passenger pigeons? How did they go extinct?
2: My name is Joel Greenberg. I live in the Chicago area. I'm a naturalist, author, consultant.
0: That's Joel Greenberg, author of the book A Feathered River Across the Sky. He's been a birder since he was 12. Joel's here to help us tell the incredible story of the passenger pigeon, a species that was decimated by hunters.
1: They were sold for a couple pennies each or less. At the height of its existence, how many passenger pigeons were there?
2: Yeah, that's a question that can never be known with certainty. Arlie Shorger, who wrote this comprehensive monograph on the bird 50 years ago, estimated that there were three to five billion. But there may well have been more because there were individual flights that may have themselves in one place you know exceeded three billion birds
1: and what would it have been like to see one of these flocks flying overhead or landing in trees?
2: Well, let me give you an example from the early eighteen fifties in Columbus, Ohio. you know people were were doing their work and running errands, and they heard this humming sound and they looked into the southern sky and they saw. White clouds, and as time passed, it was clear those clouds were passenger pigeons. With the passage of even more time, they were plunged into darkness. The birds literally obscured the sun. And the beating of hundreds of millions of wings made it impossible for people to communicate. Further, the beating of those wings created downdrafts. People literally became cold. And then when the flock passed, all the buildings were plated in white. John Audubon talked about a flight of birds that took three days, that literally darkened the sky for three whole days. And he said the, the droppings fell like snowflakes.
1: When they landed, the trees were destroyed like a tornado had passed through. When they lifted, the wind from their wings chilled the air, making people cold. And when they passed, the buildings were covered in white. A passing flock could darken the skies for
2: days. They almost ran out of words. They, they, they had to reach out to you know biblical uh, expressions to try to recreate uh, what it was that they experienced. Passenger pigeons were 15 to 18
0: inches long and weighed 10 to 12 ounces each. They ate a variety of plants and insects, but especially during nesting season, they preferred the nutritious beech nuts and acorns.
1: Masting is when trees produce an abundance of nuts, in an attempt to overwhelm their predators with more nuts than the predators can eat, therefore ensuring that some nuts will germinate into new trees. Passenger pigeons flocked to masting trees.
2: Passenger pigeons, that's how they got their name. They crisscrossed the landscape in search of food. Here today, gone tomorrow, uh, somebody called them the gypsies of the bird world because they were primarily looking for food. So they did generally migrate north in the spring and south in the fall, but not in the strict um, way that a lot of other birds do. So, for example, one winter, there were birds, uh, masses of birds in James Bay um, at the southern end of Hudson Bay. And one year they nested in Mississippi. Understandably, they tasted different depending on their recent activity. If if the birds had just been migrating, you know, the birds were tough. But if they were in places where they had been eating, you know, the, the people liked them much better. So, you know, they they probably tasted somewhat like commercially produced squab. And we could talk about the, you know, the, the food aspect because it's pretty interesting. You know, the rich ate them, the poor ate them.
1: Yeah, so what are the interesting aspects of passenger pigeon as a food?
2: Going back even to the very, you know, early settlers, um, back to one place in Ontario, they they lived on fish and passenger pigeons, so the crown really didn't have to give them much but a little flour, you know, every year. But as we proceed, so again, this was in Ontario, there were times and places there where the servants demanded that in their job contracts, they said, you can't serve us passenger pigeons more than, than X number of days in a row. Alexander Wilson, uh, the father of American ornithology, said that when passenger pigeons are the mainstay of breakfast, lunch, and dinner for weeks at a time. The very name of the bird makes you lose your appetite. The passenger pigeon was important
0: for the survival of some of the early settler colonies.
2: There were other places in Plymouth, Massachusetts, 1640s. One year the pigeons ate crops That was a bad thing. But then the next year, uh, there was a crop failure and the pigeons arrived. So people survived because they could eat the pigeons. You know, so in the early years, pigeons were a mainstay were something that was really important. People started
1: by killing the birds just to feed themselves. So let's talk about the hunting of the passenger pigeons. Is there a time when it kind of started becoming popular to hunt them?
2: The very first people to kill them was uh, in the mid-1500s at a French Fort Caroline in Florida. People originally killed them for their own use
0: as food. Then they killed extra to sell in local markets. Then with expanding railroads, they could sell to regional and ultimately even national markets. Two
1: advancements played a big role in the mass killings of passenger pigeons as a cheap food. One was the railroads.
2: And the railroad meant that wherever the birds were obtained, if you could get them to a station, um, you could get them to the big urban markets of the Midwest and East. The other was the telegraph. The telegraph meant that wherever the birds showed up, that information could be disseminated quickly and widely. You had a group of hunters, maybe as many as 3,000, who did nothing but hunt the birds all year long. And, you know, I think that's really what drove the birds to, to extinction. They had this year-long killing and they were killing them in those numbers because they were cheap food um, you can buy them for pennies a piece or even less so it moved from being something you just ate the birds you shot to regional markets to these national markets and so railroad cars filled with barrels of passenger pigeons 200 300 to a barrel were you know were shipped to new york or toronto or montreal So we should also
1: mention that the passenger pigeon only lays one egg a year. That's not enough to overcome this kind of hunting.
2: History suggests that few things stimulate human ingenuity more than the challenge of killing. A lot of birds were shot. But the most interesting and most sophisticated way was using nets. What they would do is um, they would clear a space and bait it with grain and they would set up these large nets now to attract the wild birds flying over they used um, live passenger pigeon decoys which were known as stool pigeons are you familiar with that term
1: stool pigeons no
2: yeah okay for people familiar with 1940 gangster movies it's it's a common term and it basically means when you're uh when you betray a member of your own group. So they would put these live passenger pigeon decoys on um, this teeter-totter-like device called the stool and move it up and down to create the impression of a peacefully feeding bird. And so the wild birds come by, they look down, they see the grain, they see this bird, you know, not disturbed. Oh, and to ensure that the stool pigeon didn't spook when the wild birds came down, they would frequently sew its eyelids shut. Oh my... The wild birds would come down, and they'd release the nets. And they could catch hundreds of birds at a time, sometimes 1,200 or 1,300. And the problem, though, was that if there were enough birds caught, they could raise the corner of the nets that birds could escape. So the hunters often bolted from their blinds, threw themselves onto the nets, and with one free hand reached in, grabbed a bird, and chopped down on the back of its neck. And one one hunter from Pennsylvania complained he chomped on so many bird necks that his teeth got loose. Um, And I asked a dentist about it. He said that given the prevalence of gum disease in the 19th century, he could believe it. But that that was one way they caught them. And potato farmers in Aurelia, Ontario. This is rare. Now I'm giving you some weird examples. Mostly they were shot and they were it as I described, but just one example when they were harvesting their crop, if passenger pigeons were flying low overhead, they'd actually reach down and hurl tubers at the birds. Now, They lost more potatoes than they gained pigeons, but every so often they knocked a pigeon out of the sky. And I'd muse that if only an onion fell as well, you'd have an entire stew, you know, at your feet. They tried to asphyxiate them. They would take clay pots and they would burn sulfur in it and place it under roosting or nesting birds and some number of them would would fall. So, you know, people are pretty creative when it comes to killing. People kill passenger pigeons in all kinds of ways.
1: So let's start talking about... (sighs) the beginning of their extinction. Did people notice? Did they care? They just kept killing them.
2: Well, most people did not care, and because they gathered in numbers even at the very end you could read say in a newspaper there were, you know, a million in Mouston, Wisconsin and there were, but 4 years before there were tens of millions. There were a handful of people who, who clearly expressed unhappiness with the slaughter. The most striking was Junius Brutus Booth. He was a famous actor of the 19th century. He's more famous for being the father of John Wilkes, who assassinated President Lincoln. But unlike his son, he really had an aversion to killing. And so um, he was performing in Louisville, Kentucky and a flight of birds had just gone by the few days before and there were lots of dead birds and they were selling them on corners. So he reached out to a minister, James Freeman Clark, one of the leaders of the Unitarian movement, and basically asked Clark if he would preside over a funeral for five dead passenger pigeons. He wanted Clark to read the eulogy, whereas he Booth would get a hearse and procure a place to bury them. invited Clark to his hotel room, and Clark listened, and we know this because it's in Clark's memoir. Clark wrote about it. He declined, but Booth apparently did get a hearse, and somewhere in a cemetery in Louisville, Kentucky, there's some, you know, buried passenger pigeons. At the end, the hunters, you know, who chased the birds surely knew the birds were declining. The largest nesting ever known occurred in 1871 in central Wisconsin. It spread across 850 square miles and involved probably 136 million birds, okay, 1871. The last nesting of any size was seven years later, 1878. It occurred in uh, Michigan and that probably involved 200 square miles and maybe 60 million birds, okay, 1878. The very last time they nested in any numbers at all was just four years later in 1882 when there were three nestings in Wisconsin, one in Pennsylvania that probably exceeded a million birds each. And so, you know, the hunters surely understood that. They were declining, and it seems to me, you know, they could have done one of two things. They either could have said, if I want to keep my job, we need to lay off a bit, give the birds a chance to um, increase. They didn't do that. Instead, the hunting became more intense. So one of the nestings in Wisconsin, um, as soon as the, the young pigeons were hatched, and, you know, think about what a young pigeon looks like, or any bird, when it first hatches, it's all bones and feathers, right? So usually they would wait until the bird developed some fat and meat became more toothsome, but in 1882, as soon as the birds were hatched, they grabbed them, they put them in barrels, they stomped them into paste. And, you know, you can imagine the people who bought this, I mean, it was a very good product. And that was the last time that the birds nested in any numbers at all. I mean, people co- continued to hunt them, you know, through through the 1880s. But by 1890, there may not have been more than maybe three or 4,000 birds left. Not very long a time for that population to collapse. The very last wild bird shot, for which there's no doubt, was shot in 1902, as far as we know. And, you know, that's 40 years to go from a population of billions, or even if the guy was wrong, hundreds of millions, to literally zero.
1: There's just one good thing that came out of all of this.
2: The extinction of the bird led to, certainly the United States' first great environmental movement, and one of the key laws that came out of that was the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, which ratified the treaty between the United States and Britain regarding birds that flew from your country to this country and back and forth. The pigeon is a powerful example of the proposition that just because something's abundant, if we're not good stewards, we can lose them.
0: All right, food buffs, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We have a new
1: app that came out and we're really excited about it. So please just download it onto your phone to support us. We'll love you for it.
0: For our new listeners, we've uh, really enjoyed reading some of the latest reviews. We appreciate...
1: We appreciate it so much.
0: We appreciate the feedback. And for anybody who hasn't gotten a chance yet, please go onto iTunes and review us if you like us. It really helps us out and lets us know we're on the right track.
1: A little shout out to the last three reviewers that we had. Gamester80, Dante Stack, and Cole Roulan, write into us at feedback at foodnonfiction.com if we pronounced your username wrong and we'll try again next time.
0: But thanks for the feedback. We really appreciate it. And we hope you have a great week, Food Buffs.
1: Don't forget to subscribe. Bye. Bye.